everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. For the opening season of 2021, I bring together stories of hope and positive change and have partnered with innovative florist Little Flowers with the idea that flowers offer us a beauty that naturally gives joy and are a potent symbol of change and development. Like Little Flowers, season four of Style Stories aims to put more smiles on more faces more often. Today, I'm chatting with fashion and costume designer, Katie Louise Nickel Ford, seamstress extraordinaire and co-founder of Demi Couture label, Nickel and Ford. Costume as a cachet for creativity came to Katie Louise early in life, starting with the character of Hula Girl. But as we turn the pages of her colourful story and observe the various personas she's played with along the way, we see her current role firmly lands her as the leading lady of her own glamorous narrative. No matter which role she takes on to the outside world, for Katie Louise, fantasy and empowerment go hand in hand, characterise her source of self-confidence and are critical in defining her spirited style. In keeping up with Katie Louise's characteristic style, she wears a leopard print suit from her upcoming collection and has taken on a slice of her history with a shell bracelet available from my vintage collection. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Katie Louise's story. Hi, Katie. Hi, how are you going? Well, thanks, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I know that we have uh, a few mutual connections. We do, yes. Um, in Stav Adamitis and um, Rosie Kramer, mm-hmm. um, both lovely ladies I've interviewed and good friends of yours. And yes. <laughs> uh, they both have style, that I guess, that uh, celebrates um, a, a, a past era mm-hmm. um as do you <laughs> i do yes <laughs> and uh yeah i obviously know that one like you're a bit of a, a historian when it comes to fashion so we'll start off by going into your personal history um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and i know that clothes have been um like an important creative outlet for you since you were a child mm-hmm. why do you think as a little person you hung your hat up on the clothing kind of fashion side of things as an outlet for creativity oh it's a very good <laughs> question um I don't it's something that I honestly have just always really been drawn to from probably about the age of three or four and it's always been incredibly performative so I'm quite Mm. introverted but I really have always loved getting dressed up and embodying that character and being able to find a confidence through the clothes that I wear and the characters that I sort of develop and with age I've grown more and more confident with that and I'm really willing to take more risks and just play around and find the person that I want to be every single day (laughs) through a dress yeah what what were some of those colorful characters like when you were little oh my goodness I have honestly been through every style you could ever imagine when I was really really young I was very into um Hula girls, so that was like a strong vibe for me. I would always wear floral lays, lipstick, bikinis, grass skirts everywhere I went, even right. to Sunday church. Like right. really, like dramatic look. Yeah. And then I went through big goth phase 
Yeah. Beach babe, boho, punk, every single thing I think I've probably done it. So right. I'm just ticking them off the list. Um, and I think it's – I would. I thought that it was getting more extreme as I get older, but when I look back through my history – no way. Like I took some real risks and my little hometown of Ballina didn't know what hit it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so do you think that the, those initial kind of beach, beachy references like your hula girl um, kind of spoke to you because you grew up in a beachside town? Or? I think so, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Ballina, which is really close to Byron Bay and it's a very beautiful part of the world. So I think I was just trying to kind of get in my head how I could be very glamorous while still being a beach babe because unfortunately that just is the lifestyle there so yeah. until I could pack up and get to the city I just had to kind of embody the glamour somehow and maybe hula girl was it because <laughs> I, I have um, heard or read before um, in an interview that you've done that you know that you probably felt like that that kind of very beachy relaxed lifestyle wasn't exactly you growing up is that absolutely yes I was every time I could get to a city I was there and when I finished school I moved straight out of home and I just I love that urban life I still I do really love the beach but um I yeah I'm definitely a city girl and was always ready to get out of there (laughs) so for me just listening to that the hula girl is kind of like the most extra version of beach it is so ridiculous (laughs) I even have a photo with Santa that was like at the local mall, like full hula outfit. Like, here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And how was, um, did you grow up in a conservative household? You mentioned Um, going to church. Is that I had quite an interesting upbringing. I grew up in a um, single parent household and my mum is super, super chill. She is from the hippie generation. She lived in the South Pacific in the 70s, worked at Club Med, used shells instead of currency. Like she probably had a lot to do with my hula phase, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, she also is um, is Catholic. So I had like this weird experience where I would go to church, but also had like a pretty, pretty interesting upbringing where yeah. I was really encouraged to be incredibly creative and expressive and take risks. So I'm really grateful for that and then becoming an adult I kind of had to find my own way and what religion was outside of that sort of situation which was quite unique Mm. to yeah to the community. (laughs) So what was your mum in a creative like did she do creative work? So my mum's actually a silk artist so yeah I grew up with her painting on silk and she always encouraged me to join in with that or express myself in any other way so she always encouraged me to make my own clothes and that's sort of how I got into that when I was really young as well so yeah, yeah. so fashion was always kind of it was always into, there yeah. yeah and um obviously you, you know you've talked about these kind of iterations of like uh different ways of identifying yourself but uh, you know you kind of seem to have a very strong allegiance to the kind of glamour age of Hollywood. Yes. Um, Where did that start for you? How did that come in? Um, I, again, like I have been watching um, classic films on, as the midday movie since I was really, really young. And I think it just took me going through all of those different style evolutions, um, a lot of them being quite rebellious in punk, emo, goth, Yeah, yeah. Um, to then realise that I could embody something that's quite, um, you know, perceived as quite like beautiful and glamorous because I don't think, I don't naturally feel that way. So it, for me, like it is actually 
quite risky compared to looks that are a little bit more um, in your face. So it just took years and years of confidence building and thinking like, you know what, I, I want to do this and I'm going to try it. And over the years, I think it's just become more and more. And now I just, I feel so confident in my style and I know exactly what I want to wear, who I am, and I'm, I'm much more willing to just go all out. Yeah. And so why do you think that particular period red has come to resonate most clearly with you? I, I mean, I think it, it really comes back to being a, a maker and particularly clothing from the 30s, a cut to the body and clothing on the bias just like absolutely tugs at my heartstrings and mm. being a child of the 90s, all of the clothing was referential to 30s Hollywood. So I love recreating like typical classic Hollywood looks, but in my mind, I'm definitely just wanting to be Drew Barrymore or Gwen Stefani, like on the red carpet with like piercings, tattoos and like a beautiful bias dress. (laughs) Do you identify with the particular women of that period for a particular reason, like your Betty Davises or... Uh, look, I actually have to say she would probably be my favourite of the time because I think, you know, a lot of them were, you know, they were in the studio system and they had to play a role and I, I totally understand that and um, I feel like she was maybe the strongest woman of the time where she really put her foot down and she predominantly was an actor and that's what came first to her and, of course, she was styled beautifully always looked amazing but she was just so much more complex than that and was really working on her art form rather than just being the beautiful starlet that could stand in and say anything but you know look on look hot on camera she was yeah she was something truly unique in that time yeah and you've said before that um television uh, and and movie sorry it, it you've enjoyed the escapism mm-hmm. of that do you find that the kind of sense of costume and fashion for you that comes out of that particular period, is that um, a form of escapism as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I create an entire world in my head and (laughs) I can just embody that world and feel, you know, so secure and confident and uh, absolutely, yeah. Is there there a rebellion in it too? I think so. I mean, I, I feel like maybe from an outsider's perspective, it's just dressing up and walking down the street but I think you know it, it takes confidence and you have to feel pretty secure in who you are to just think well I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want and that's who I am so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you think that the is that rebellion kind of a reflection on some of the ways that you grew up like you know you kind of had this mix of um, a very liberal kind of mindset, but then within a conservative. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a very, I, I think I'm 33 now and I'm still trying to get my head around how that upbringing has really shaped the person that I am today. But mm. I, yeah, I think it's all rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so your rebellious spirit, as you said, has come out in various forms, like you, you had identified as goth and emo (laughs) I imagine they were in your teenage years is that right or yeah look my brother very um gently said to me on my 18th birthday that maybe it was time to move on (laughs) maybe there's a stage when you don't want to be emo anymore um so when I moved out of home I did sort of realize that it was um maybe a phase that I wanted to kind of grow out of when I was sort of looking for work and figuring out who my next persona was going to be but um 
you know, it's really interesting now there's been like a full resurgence and in Newtown there's a whole league of little baby <laughs> emos. They're back and it's really to come like full circle like that and think that's something I was doing when I was a teenager that was so uncool at the time. Like yeah. no one thought what I was doing was good, but I was like, whatever, I I just, I feel great and that's that. But now to see that it's it's happening all over again, it's pretty, it's, it's a nice little kick. <laughs> do you, do you, because obviously you're the type of person, especially between you and Timothy, your, your mm-hmm. partner, you're the type of person that doesn't take fashion for granted as, mm-hmm. um, you know, it obviously means something. And for me as well, it's a symbol of something deeper that's going on at the time. Yeah. Why do you think emo might be kind of coming back as a as a point of rebellion at Ooh. this time? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think the only way that I can think about it personally is um, – the world currently um there's a real sort of emphasis on casual wear leisure wear like be comfy like go to the club if we could go to the club (laughs) in sneakers and you know just like feel like you can be lounging all the time and there's something very very glamorous about emo and goth culture and it's a very slippery slope into high glamour and most people that I know that especially that dress in like a classic sort of Hollywood or vintage way, Mm. they all started out as goth or emo. Really? Yeah. And I think for me, it really built my confidence living in a beach town as a goth where people would throw rocks at my house and call me a witch. I became so (laughs) resilient that after that, I really like, I I just didn't really care anymore. And I was able to entirely let go. And maybe they're super dedicated to the aesthetic and will do it for life, which is fantastic. But maybe it's just an entry point into expressing themselves in whatever way that they want to. Because for most people, I would, and even for myself, I would say that they they so contrasting like a sense mm. of glamour to the emo and goth world. So how do you make that connection? All of that makeup takes a long mm. time and the hair as well. I have yeah. to say like it, it takes a lot longer than what I would do now. <laughs> I spend hours trying to look like Robert Smith just to sit in my bedroom. <laughs> and is it, the, is it a bit of that performance element? as well do you think that absolutely yeah and I what I think is really interesting is that a lot of young people now are able to be part of subcultures and find their people on the internet which I didn't really have and I think that's amazing that they can feel so secure in expressing themselves and know that there's a whole world of people that feel the same but emos are still sitting in parks and sitting at town hall like it is so incredibly performative and I think it is one of the few sort of younger subcultures where you want to be seen and you put all that time and effort in and you don't just want to take photos on your phone and put them online and and Mm. get some hits you want people to be shocked and admire and question what are you doing and why are you doing it and it and correct me if I'm wrong because, I, I, you know, I never really partook in the emo culture. Well, there's always time. <laughs> but it, it's seemingly like one of those kind of uh, younger subcultures that does bring together the masculinity and femininity. It's, mm. it's fairly androgynous, is that Absolutely. fair to say? Yeah, and I think um, really when I was a teenager, it was the first sort of subculture where there was a very open conversation about being queer or being like openly bisexual which in 
the mid 2000s like was pretty new but people were really just willing to put that out there so I think it has it really created a path of, of expression in that way as well which is really fantastic yeah and in terms of because you obviously present as you know very feminine and very glamorous uh, yeah. today <laughs> um where do you kind of get your masculine energies or outlets from I like, honestly like I I within myself just feel like i I have quite a masculine energy. So the way that I dress is is like hyper-performative femininity mm. in a way to express something that I don't particularly feel within myself. So it's really just sort of playing with that and expressing something that as a woman I should naturally feel but I never really have. Right. Um, so going back to, to your career path, obviously yeah. always revolving around clothing. Yes. Um, you went and studied in Melbourne. As you said, you kind of left as soon as you could. I did. Yeah. I, I first studied in, in Brisbane, so I did a little hop up two hours north right. and, and got a taste of fashion and then I just – it wasn't enough and there was – rumors about a wonderful place in Melbourne called RMIT and I had never been to Melbourne before but Mm. I moved down and enrolled and that was that. (laughs) And um, did you find like did you having been in Ballina where as you said you had people throwing rocks at your place because they didn't identify (laughs) with you do you find that you found your people you look like your tribe down in Melbourne or um you know I think when I was in Melbourne I was so focused on study I Mm. was obsessed with learning everything that I could about fashion so I studied um the fashion design um TAFE course which is very very hands-on and I really wanted to learn as much as I could and be the best as I at pattern making, grading and machining. And I mean, you only have so many hours in each class per week. So I really just spent most of my time working on that. <laughs> yeah. And but you started your own label at I, the same I, time. I did. Around? Yeah. So I um, just started making a few little cute dresses and it was really the start of um online marketplaces so mm. I listed a dress on Etsy and it sold overnight and I thought wow hello this is strange that people want to buy into what I'm just making in my lounge room to practice my sewing skills so there were a few like little vintage markets and opportunities that I started going along to and I never sold anything in the real world but I had so much support from um, mainly America and London so I sort of okay. just kept building on that and moved on to a costume design course and my little label kept building and building and and was necessity the mother of invention there because you you were making clothes out of vintage fabrics from yes. op shops right yeah so, so I'd go to savers in my lunch break and buy just secondhand fabrics and absolutely I mean I everyone else that I knew that was studying had a part-time job but I just I, I didn't want to work behind a bar and lose time that I could be using to perfect my craft Mm. so it was you know it was a a fortunate situation but I just I think I was really there at the right time where there wasn't all of the shops that afterwards like online stores like mod cloth and god forbid ASOS and all that (laughs) sort of stuff like they just didn't exist so if someone wanted like a vintage inspired dress um I really came in at the right time yeah and do you think because you were trying to source things that are an affordable kind of option for you that's was that one of the sites where you started to really fall in love with vintage 
fabrics or was yeah. it, you know, did that just exacerbate something that already existed? Yeah, I think it definitely already existed. Mm. Um, but it was, for me, it was, I guess, really getting my head around having only two metres of something and what, yeah, what can you do with that? What era is it from? What kind of qualities does it have if it's from that era? I didn't take a lot of risks back then, so everything had to be a pretty like sturdy bark cloth cotton, mm. really, or like a maybe like a semi poly cotton seventies polyester. But I wasn't really ready to dive into maybe the quality of vintage fabrics that I would love to work with now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also I, that whole market has changed, hasn't it? So yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> the affordability of it is probably a lot different from yeah. what it was back then absolutely yeah so you mentioned you went then into costume design yes you studied costume design tell me about that uh so I studied at um Swinburne and mainly because I in fashion they really were gearing you towards creating a label as a fashion designer working with offshore manufacturers pumping out a million collections a year making a lot of money and it just it it never was what I wanted to do it was Mm. all about quantity and I really, and also it was about being super, super modern, which for me just didn't really make sense. And anytime I tried to kind of gear a project towards a more sort of like vintage aesthetic, they would always say that it was dated and, you know, like move on. Um, So costume for me, I thought, oh, how fantastic. I can learn how to make corsets. I can work in like fashion history. Um, And it was a very, it was a two-year course, but it was very self-directed. So... Mm. I was able to sort of develop the skills that I really needed um, and a lot of things that I was doing at the time I kind of just worked through and never thought I'd use again but you know I had subjects like wig maintenance and millinery that in the past few years I've found myself using which is mm. fantastic yeah and the, the whole time I was running my little label on the side so I was work through costume my goal was to move to America and at the end of my costume course packed up and got out of Australia for a little bit. (laughs) Where did did you go? Uh, To New... So I spent a year in America. I spent a little while living in a van in Walmart car parks, which is... (laughs) Yeah. What state were you in? All over. Yeah. So I was traveling with my partner at the time, landed in LA, zigzagged all the way over, stayed in Walmarts and national parks, and then arrived in New York and started working in costumes. So it was quite right. a contrast, that trip, I will say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did – I mean, New York – I've also lived in New York. And, yeah. And um, that place is fantastic while you're winning, you know. Yeah. They can eat you up and spit you out. Absolutely. How did you go? Like, how did it happen for you? I – look, I really, really – I loved my time there. I wish – that I was older and had more confidence because I really, I was pretty terrified um, of, I just, I wasn't as confident meeting people. So I definitely didn't put myself out there as much as I would now. So, and the work that I had was pretty demanding. I was making um, costumes for the Boston Ballet and there was quite a tight deadline. So I was working six days a week. And then after that, just like trying to experience New York, but um. I'd, I mean, you know, the world has really changed now, but I've always said to Tim that if we were ever, if I would ever go back, I would, we would move there together and it would be a totally different experience, mm. but we'll see what the future holds. I'd be willing to give it another crack. One of the things I've um, read that you've said is that you actively try to bridge the gap between fashion and costume. Yes. What does, what does that mean to you? Having like made costumes and, you know, yeah. uh, what, what 
what does that actually mean and what do you think the line is? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess maybe a very good example is a lot of the time when Tim and I leave the house together, people stop us on the street and ask what costume we're wearing and what party we're going to. <laughs> so there is like a little bit of like tongue-in-cheek is it like a normal outfit that you're just wearing out and about or is it, are you a performer? Are you, you know, so it is performative in that way. Um, and I think in, in terms of like the, the technical side of it, I really love the, the clothing that we make. A lot of it is designed like a costume piece. So the fastenings are as you would do in costume. The seams are really big so you can take everything in and out. Like it's very bespoke and made to adapt when as people's bodies shift and change and they can keep it for a very long time. And I mean, fashion just doesn't, a, a lot of fashion doesn't really exist like that anymore. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, you, you know, uh, as you said, Tim, Tim and yourself often dressing in a similar way. Yeah. Um, you know, like <laughs> you guys are like so adorable in your matching outfits at times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, did, how, how did Tim come into your life and how has your styles evolved as your relationship has progressed? Yeah. Um, we actually met each other when I first um, moved back from New York. So I... After, after having said I would move back to New York, when I left, I was very ready for a, a little bit of a change of scenery and I moved to the Blue Mountains yeah. um, where I had never lived before, um, didn't have a car, so it was, it was a real experience. But at that time, I really um, reached out to sort of the vintage blogging community in Sydney mm. and was coming into Sydney to just go to events and meet people because... It was very, very lonely up there, <laughs> working full-time from home in Katoomba in yeah. winter. It was just, I don't know what I was thinking. Like it, it was a lot. But um, Tim and I met at an event and within a few months, our life circumstances had both changed. We recently became single. I moved to Sydney and we just sort of started hanging out and rest is history with that one mm. but um aesthetically I mean we were very very different when we started dating and I think the longer that we've been together we really you know we just inspire each other to be the truest people that we can be and th there's nothing that's too extra for the other person and we just really encourage each other to take those risks and you know have fun with it and evolve and we know that we're always going to be evolving and changing so what we look like now it's going to be entirely different in a few years and you know I think some people think that's a bit weird that we met and looked very very different and we've had like so many of these different phases as I always have but um yeah we're we're so having, what, what what how did you contrast when you met like what, what we were very at that time like I guess like traditional like vintage couple which is just like it's real it's not our vibe but it's how we were at the time so Tim wore a lot of suits and had like slick hair and I had like a little bob and it yeah I think we look at that now and we're, it's cringy but you know that's that's how we fell in love so that's that's cute but yeah yeah it's, it's odd that the longer we go on the more and more we're sort of channeling each other's aesthetics as well as I waxed Tim's eyebrows for the first time the other night we are well and truly becoming very very similar at this point in our path is, is is one force more dominant than the other or um I would say Tim is definitely my num. I guess we're both each other's number one cheerleader but 
I'm definitely encouraged by Tim to take risks because I can play it a little bit safe. I know it looks good. I don't really want to like branch out of that, but you know, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so how does it go? You guys running a business together now, like you're, you're obviously very in tune with each other and supportive. Um, But you know, you do, you do a lot together. How do do you manage that? Uh, Look, I have to say we are an absolute dream team. Like I can't really believe the situation that we found ourselves in. Tim um, works full time in the arts outside of our business. Mm -hmm. So we actually don't often get to spend a lot of time on our business together. We meet at night and work together on the weekends. But during the week, I'm usually at the sewing machine, pattern making, running around, doing all those sorts of things. But over summer, we had a incredible four-week period where we worked together every single day Mm. and we created some of our best work I think it was very very it's a very special time and I mean we just feel so grateful to have found a dynamic where we just really get each other and we have opposing strengths that really unite and can create something that just couldn't exist if it wasn't the two of us doing it together yeah and what what are the two the opposing strengths there uh, well, I obviously um, have the background in the making and it's mm. what I really love doing. And in the past, I haven't really liked design that much. It hasn't really been my thing only because I know how difficult things are to construct. So when we first started, Tim would kind of show me a sketch and I'd be like, no, no way. It's not going to happen <laughs> as if. But I'm opening up a little bit more and we really meet in the middle now and I'm really challenging myself to push and do more of the design work. Whereas Tim has a background in art history and theory. Mm. So all of the research, um, you know, the the narratives behind all of our collections and designs uh, and concepts are all Tim. Right. Yeah, And you've got a new collection coming out. We do, (laughs) finally. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We had about, well, you know, last year, it was a time for everyone and it's still a a very strange time, but we had so many chances last year Mm. where something just went wrong and it didn't quite come together. But March the 27th, it's happening. Yeah. So excited. (laughs) And what's the narrative behind the upcoming collection? So we're actually, um, we're currently producing a show um, called Undressing Hollywood, Mm. which is based on the life of an Australian fashion designer, costume designer, sorry, Ori Kelly, who moved to Hollywood um, in the 20s, um, was in a relationship with Cary Grant, was openly a gay man and was basically shut out of any credit that he would have got for being open about who he was. Mm. So our show is based on the narrative of his life and the costumes are inspired by all of his costume work. Um, so the collection that we'll be releasing alongside the show is also inspired by the costumes of Ori Kelly. So right. it's going to be very camp, very glamorous, very colourful. Yeah. It's going to be good. We're very, very excited. <laughs> As a couple, it feels like you're both um, very thoughtful, considerate people. Mm, um, thank you. <laughs> don't, don't do things by accident. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, uh, that particular narrative, mm-hmm. why do you think um, perhaps the opulence of that period mm-hmm. is relevant to people today, you know, in terms of is it a kind of post 
depression, war time. Yeah. We would like to celebrate and absolutely you know, be frivolous. Yeah. Is that kind yeah, of what I mean, you guys are thinking? Yeah, and as we've we touched on before, I mean, film is just pure escapism, especially, I mean, Ori Kelly's career was huge. He worked from the 20s to the 60s. So there's a large scope for us to look at there, but his costumes were consistently outrageously glamorous and over the top. So I think for us, it's so incredible that we can release this now where at least, you know, for us in Australia, we are quite fortunate that our world is sort of getting a little bit bit back to normal. We're allowed to have shows um, with restrictions, but, you know, that's a reality for us now. But as people are able to get out a little bit more to be able to release something where people can, you know, just have fun with what they're wearing and enter the world feeling colourful and outrageous, I think it's a it's a good time for that. Yeah. yeah. And it's even for P- our, our beautiful clients overseas, I mean, hey, I wear our clothing around the house all the time. So there's going to be a lot of loungewear and, and comfy glamour as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, Thank sa- you. I noticed you were wearing a beautiful marigold yellow um, yes. set on your Instagram um, TV uh, the other day and I was like, oh, that's stunning. I am obsessed with that colour. That Thank colour you so much. You. Yeah, I feel like I'm really, this year I'm taking <laughs> risks with colour and I mean, yeah, yes. that's, that would have been a very, very good match. But um, yeah, so it's a, it's a very, very colourful collection just yeah. to kind of put that back into the world. <laughs> and for somebody that does like to evolve and, mm-hmm. and continue to do new things, obviously you've got a big few months coming up, but what what kind of like longer term goals have you got with either your collection or your vintage pieces, your costumes? Yeah. Uh, look, for us, um, we really um, ideally would love to produce a show each year and a collection with the show and a collection outside of that so Mm. for our work it's incredibly narrative driven and each collection is based around a queer figure of history whose story has really been lost because of their identity and because of erasure through history so it's a way of storytelling for us and I mean there's enough clothing in the world so there needs to be purpose behind what we do and it's especially that's why this is such an exciting opportunity for us because Ori Kelly is the first Australian queer figure that we've had as the focus of a collection. So we're really Mm. moving more into a a localised space to just celebrate Australians that maybe don't have the recognition that that they deserve. So, I mean, how long is a piece of string? Hopefully we can do this forever. (laughs) That's very exciting. And um, I mentioned that I'm actually coming to see the show. And so uh, that's uh, an exciting opportunity because I don't think I've actually been to anything other than the cinema in the last uh, 12 months. Oh, (laughs) you're going to love it. And we're also, um, we're really excited on the 27th of March. So when we do our runway, we're also going to be live streaming it. So... For those people that can't get out and about or, you know, for whatever reason, it, it for us it's a really great opportunity to to bring that to everyone that wants to be a part of it. So hopefully yeah. we'll be able to continue to do that in the future as well. Um, so my last question to you, Katie, is um, it's a question I ask most of my guests, but... Yeah? <laughs> we, we, 
your 70-year-old self, obviously your style will continue to um, evolve and be extravagant. But yeah. what, if, in your ideal vision of your 70-year-old self, what, what do you look like and what mm. do you be wearing? Well, I mean, hopefully by that point, Tim and I have upskilled and we can make <laughs> shoes, hats, everything can be head to toe um wigs (laughs) yeah look I just was in my mind I was hoping that I'd like have a plucked back hairline for some reason (laughs) so maybe we'll be full Elizabethan I don't know um and hopefully we can like just have yeah continue to evolve in our style have many many beautiful dogs running around (laughs) us um yeah and just be as authentic as we as we can and have been and can continue to be. (laughs) Well, I look forward to seeing um, those evolutions and thank you (laughs) so much for joining me today. A pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) The golden age of Hollywood was born out of a period of depression and was characterised by a mood that craved an ease on restrictions, a desire for opulence and a certain escapism that the magic of new technology in the form of audible film could offer. Whilst the extreme glamour of Katie Louise, her costumes and her couture pay a timely homage to this era, they also act as a powerful tool to retell lost narratives. And it's this ability to use clothing as a high voltage vehicle to tell a story that instills confidence, promotes acceptance and enacts change that are characteristic of Katie Louise and her eye-catching style. Thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed hearing this style story, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast and give it a rating to help other like-minded listeners find these stylish stories.